The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. To the Brandon Peters Show today features a discussion of Mario Bava's 1964 film Blood and Black Lace as we sort of cross over from year one into year two. And we're doing so with a big week of shows here, including many familiar faces. So it's going to be just loaded. I don't know how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, but it's going to be fun, including welcoming back one of the most beloved figures from year one. That would be author Greg Magoon. Hello. I'm glad to be back and excited for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you for coming to do this. I had this weird idea that we're going to explain in a second months ago, and I was like, I went to you because I wanted you to be this part of this idea, and I was like, should I or shouldn't I? And you said, (laughs) well, it's up to you, but do it. Something like that. So I was like, all right, all right. As long as you clap back at me, I was like, all right, good, good, okay. So for the past year on the program, uh, I brought in guests and put the spotlight on them to share with people just who they are and sort of get into the mind of the creator. I like creative actors, writers, you know, artists, comic book creators. Like I've had all through life coach. I had a life coach on here. She's great. Hi, Jen, if you're listening. And in terms of films that were chosen over the past year, I've told them to pick something that has either uh, inspired them at some point in their life with their art or their life or an odd favorite that they might not know. I, I don't want to like talk about the same movie as everybody's doing. Like I've ixnayed twice people's choices for movies. Both chose Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Both were ixnayed yeah. because I have nothing. I like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but... I want something that speaks more to them. Captain America Winter Soldier speaks to many people, which would probably bring me many more listeners, but I, I want to know about them. That's what I'm interested in. I wouldn't be doing the podcast if I wasn't interested in stuff doing the podcast. And there are only three occasions where I picked the film for the show, which I'm going to throw out there. If you can guess which three episodes were movies I picked, then... I will let you select a music video to discuss during year two at some point. But you gotta like you only get one shot and you have to name all three in one shot. That's it. You can't just keep coming back to me or dragging it out or what about this one? Or this one or this one. One shot, three movies, tweet, Instagram, YouTube. Down here. If you're watching, YouTube. So this idea, I thought I'd turn the table and become my own guest on my own show a year after doing it. And this week is going to be that way. It's going to reflect a bunch of odd favorites of mine of movies to discuss on the show. And for this interview portion, I wanted Greg. Greg and I met through this show. So he is a product of 
doing this show. Like, if I didn't do the show, I wouldn't know Greg. And we met through Danielle Sapalvarez, who I met through this show. I, you know, was interested in having her, reached out. She came on. And then after doing it, I think before her episode even aired, she was like, you need to talk to my friend Greg. I think he'd be a great guest. And you know what? She was right. So... She was way right. Like, I think she undersold it. Um, I'm super grateful to Danielle for that. Uh, thank you to her. And I love having her on here, too. You two have been wonderful. And, uh, Greg, though, you've been super supportive, like, like ever since before you were on, even. Before I even asked you. And you really pay attention to a lot of the show. So I felt if someone's going to talk to me about the show after a year, I would have you. So I thought, why not? Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to now become and channel my inner Brandon and take over. Although it is kind of surprising he asked me to ask him questions because I barely let him speak when I wasn't guest. Now he's expecting me to let him talk. So This is the um, only way I could. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll see if I let him talk or um, how that goes. But here we go, because right now we're going to be honoring our amazing host Brandon Peters and I will be channeling him to become Brandon Peters and talk to him about what makes Brandon Peters Brandon Peters and the Brandon show all that it is for this milestone that is one year in the making so we're transitioning to year two and what better way to understand what this year has meant to him by asking Brandon these questions so let's do this so hello and welcome Brandon Peters Thank you for uh, having me on my own show. Uh, we switch seats. I, I know guess. it's the least I can do. I mean, go. yeah, least I can do. And I graciously let you pick a film this time. So I mean, like pat on my back for being so humbled to let you do this. But right. uh, here we are. And um, now that you've done this show for a year, you've touched on such a range of topics. It's clear you love film. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just like a genre specific thing. You go foreign film, you do horror, you do action franchises, you do tentpole films, you do like candy coated rom-coms. Thanks to me, you, you really cover the whole spectrum of it. So it's just probably hard for you to even like be able to say, Oh, I love this film and this film or pick a favorite because how could you do that when you just love and appreciate all that is film. But over the past year, what film after discussing it, surprised you the most if you could say like bringing on a guest that made you rethink the way you looked at a film first or um or a guest that brought a perspective to a film that you didn't think about prior to doing it that made you appreciate a film more or make you even question a film going maybe that wasn't as profound as i thought it first was after discussing it okay so the first one you know it's it's crazy you asked that because and this is not I wasn't handed the questions beforehand, but nope. uh, the how to lose a guy in 10 days. That was one, like, it's not, I didn't, not that I didn't like the movie, but when I sat to like analyze it and I saw it more as, hey, this is like throwback material. This is in the vein of things. And I found a, a like much more profound, deeper level of appreciation for that movie, really sitting and analyzing it than having, and it wasn't, it was by far not the first time I've seen that movie. But when I had it for that time, I really saw a different side of it, and I saw like much more integrity in it, and a lot, a lot more thought than I ever thought before, and more from the performers and stuff too. Like I was, I was really big on that movie, and I was like, "Wow, okay." So something I always thought was just it was all right was 
very good to me this time when when watching it. So that was definitely definitely one that I was like, yeah, that's pretty big on that. Pretty that one. And it happened to be one that you were on, but that one really did stick out right away when you said that was how to lose a guy in 10 days. That's definitely. Well, one. I remember when I even like pitched it. I was like, okay, I think this is a bit different than your normal <laughs> or not normal, but your traditional like film like style. Is that okay? Um, because I mean, I love all, all genres of film and all mm-hmm. styles as well. But for some reason, the movies that like just kind of linger with me are more of those like sugar coated, like fun movies, such as don't tell mom the babysitter that or how to lose a guy in 10 days, because I can pick more of a deeper, darker movie or something and go into like hidden meanings. But sometimes it's nice to just interpret something that is just fun and enjoyable. So mm-hmm. That's why I did that. So that's exciting that that kind of, I, I welcomed you into a new appreciation of that movie. Um, and that was not planned. I did not make him say that. So, and I know that you've kind of talked about this when you started the show, but now a year later, when you decided to make this jump a year ago to do your own podcast, to become like the titular lead of your podcast, um, compared to your previous podcasting and your work in dealing with films, is it what you expected it to be? How did that kind of shift over the course of the year now that you're kind of like at the helm of this show and how you look at films and have, I mean, you still don't have control over your show in the sense of like you let your guests pick the film. So it's kind of a certain level of like surprise to you um, that you wouldn't pick films. So has that made you like it more or do you think um, it led to things that you weren't expecting? Yeah, definitely. I I love the bounce. I call it the bounce um, a lot. I don't know if I've tweeted or talked about it on the show much, but I love going from something. I there was a couple. There's a week, a couple weeks in there where I was like talking about like the writer and the haunting and just a, a, like it went in a weird sort of way. Just the films that jump week to week. You're never sure what what's next and i always get excited when i'm having a guest throw films at me i'm like oh we could go here this is a or this is territory i haven't approached yet and i i just i I like the that bounce it takes off me there's the films i would like oh i hope we land on this or i hope you know i'd like to talk about this type of film but I, i really love putting it in the hands of my guests because one thing i've mentioned one of my big inspirations for this podcast was that i enjoyed a couple of years ago, the the audio commentary for Star Wars: The Last Jedi with Ryan Johnson, and just listening to his mind just open talking about film, and you can really see how he works and his his influences and where his brushstrokes go and stuff. And I'm just fascinated by them. Like, man, I would love to sit and be chatting with him about this. And I just thought, like, I would love to just be with like creators and stuff too, because I just love talking about film with people who can talk art and film and stuff and but like hear about the ones that they like and see how it forms how they talk about it what they pull from it and uh, you know how it influences them and what they see in it and it fascinates me it's it's conversations i want to have it's, it helps me see i see things in new light i jump to a film that i'm not expecting to jump to and i can have conversations in different ways like danielle she picked her second time on she wanted to talk about the crow 
and I had done a commentary track on Out Now with Aaron and Abe a few years ago about The Crow, and I normally, a lot of the times, I don't like to repeat myself. I've, I, if I did that, I might have like swayed, but I'm like, you know what? This is great because I'm not going to have the same conversation about The Crow I had five years ago at all, and I'm going to have probably, it was a bunch of film guys talking The Crow. Just like, yeah, of the similar mentality. Her background, her everything, how she is with her career and stuff. I'm like, I'm going to have probably one of the best and most unique conversations about The Crow on this. And I'm not going to pass that up at all. And really had a really damn good conversation about The Crow on there that hit points I didn't realize. The stuff she likes that she gets. And that's what I get with... That was the easiest one to point to as an example uh, for all the guests. They bring that. But that was an easy one to explain right there. I love that you mentioned like the commentary of movies and during it because I used to... People gave me the hardest time in college because I had a massive DVD collection back mm-hmm. in the day before streaming. So I appreciate your love of still getting the actual physical copy <laughs> of a movie. Like Nobody really does that anymore. And there you are with your shelves, like adding to that collection all the time. And my DVD collection stopped years ago um, with an occasional one here and there. But I used to always watch the movie with like the director commentary track over it. And I miss that. Like you don't get that on streaming services. You don't get to hear the random thoughts or like those scenes that are so awkward during movies. And you're like, I want to know what they were thinking. So um, I appreciate that you not only like watch a film, but then you kind of dig into it and you want to do all that. Um, so to continue on with like your show uh, and this one, you can brag about yourself as much as you want, because I'm asking the questions. So um, what are some of your favorite um, guests or not guest responses, but your listener responses that you've gotten from doing this show? Has that surprised you? Because obviously it's scary to like, dive into your own podcast and be the lead of it and run all this. And then you go, are people listening? What are they thinking? So has that been a pleasant surprise to you? And is there anything that stands out over the year of what a listener has maybe gotten from you? Yeah, totally. Uh, This is way different for me because I'm not used to the feedback. My old show was around for five years, great subscriber numbers and everything else, but didn't get like, I would, pine for like feedback i'd throw dumb stuff out in the ether and nothing really and this show has had it's gotten people's i don't know how it did but getting people's attention i have consistent people who give me constant love feedback on twitter there's michael and valencia i will i will call them out they're on every like they they talk about everything they comment about every most things Uh, They and some others have picked up on things I don't even realize I'm doing every time. And there's like a there's like a a checklist of stuff they've got going on. I love that. I'm like, okay, that's kind of it's crazy, but I'm I'm happy you pick it up. I'm happy you're enjoying it. They're they're learning things. There are people that are telling me that they wouldn't be interested in something we're talking about, but it's my show. So they're like, all right, well, there's got to be a reason or I want to hear that person talk about it. Yeah. It's it, I the 4k blues day. The, those folks on, on my showing my review copies think they're their own little crowd too. There was some periods of some fun joking around in those comments for a bit. 
Uh, they tend they tend to get really busy when I give stuff away, though. I don't know where they're at other times, but uh, if I do a giveaway, they they all show up uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, and the fun thing is, I've had the weirdest thing, and I pro I don't know if I've said this before. I probably maybe on another show that talked to me or something, but uh, developed multiple audiences. When I did this one week thing, I expected to be like, this is the show. But I've got people that listen to everything and you guys, oof, you listeners, hey, awesome. Uh, but that, I have people that just listen to Monday. I have people that just do the 4K Blues Day stuff. I have old space show fanatics that that's it. And then I have the music video people and they just like the music video stuff. And... I didn't realize when I started this, I even have just promo video people too. Funny videos. I'm like, you realize there's a show that goes with it, right? And you're going, that's what I want you to listen. That's why I did the video and I want you to listen to my show. Yeah, I never realized that I was doing that. I always just envisioned as one piece and people would listen to a piece. Or if you don't like this, pick up this. But I didn't realize I would have people so attached to one corner of it and that's it. Like I never, I didn't think it like that, but it happened. And that's really cool considering you're doing that little Twitter thing, so you're not going to reveal which movies you've chosen over the year. However, based off of that, those movies that you did choose, how did it feel? Did it feel different knowing that you chose the movie rather than having your guests chose the movie, like choose the movie? Yeah. And the, the one of them, I, I was picking it regardless. Okay. And they, they didn't have a choice. Just, <laughs> it's just how, how that part happened and i'm not counting the um so i'll give a hint the world film project not counting that that was a uh Shirare was a collaborative uh very collaborative in that effort to do that so we went over the films kind of together to do for that um so there's a clue it wasn't any there was three of those but it wasn't any it wasn't those three so one that and then the two people that i had to pick for one i was like really and the other was like, okay, I guess there, I think there were a person that just, it would have given them too much anxiety or something to pick. Cause we were trying, the one that I would have done with them, they had recently talked about it on something else. And I was like, wow, ah. like the whole, I don't, people can listen to you on that time. I don't want you to repeat yourself. So it was that. Um, but it was a film that the person was, that they did really enjoy it, but had only come into it recently. So. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, I'm just knowing that you went like, so it was probably more of like films that you were naturally drawn to that you picked for them and then just hope they would like type of thing. Yeah. I was like, here's 10 pick one. <laughs> okay. So you didn't specifically because today is very special because you got to fully pick this movie that we're going right. to be discussing today. Um, but before, right before we get into that though, um, over this past year, now that you've been able to kind of focus on movies, even though you've done movie talk for years and years and years, you can't pick a favorite, obviously, because who can? But do you have a film that's maybe the most like has like such an impact or influential for you? Um, and then maybe even like not even necessarily the whole film, but like a scene from a movie, because you can talk about a whole movie being influential, but maybe a scene from a movie that's unlike to stand out as a whole but something that has impacted you that maybe this past year you've recognized or realized by doing this show 
Um, I, I don't know about that, but always uh, my answer of the most influential the movie to me is John Carpenter's Halloween. That's always yeah. been my uh, go-to and scene, uh, scene of impact. That is, there's so many, but I always, and stereotypical, the, the part where uh, Lori sends the kids out and she's in the doorway and he's in blurry in the background and don't, don't, don't. It was a perfect shot, perfect scare, perfect use of music with a film and that's that's one that really always has stuck with me um in the past year uh man so much i went through my mind's just blanking right now. yeah you covered a lot it's hard to think but sometimes you just those random moments of like oh i remember doing that and then it sticks out but it might come to you as we're talking about it but you did mention halloween which i kind of already knew as i was Um, doing my little bit of research for the film that we are discussing today, John Carpenter's Halloween, Mm -hmm. they always usually mention being influenced by this movie or this genre, as we should say. Not necessarily this movie specifically, but it is because, yeah, and we're going to be talking about it. So I think we can get into that now. And I'll let you you take over, unless there's anything else you want to say on this momentous occasion as you're highlighting movies. Uh, Just... Thanks to like thanks to the people who have like supported in any possible way, like saying asking me how the show is in person, asking uh, via message, uh, like clicking like is a big deal. I don't think people realize how big of a deal clicking that like button is. I mean, yeah. it, and there's been just uh, like a lot of support. I think like the you know of course the people who listen and and give feedback a lot, uh, but like the guests. Like I have not had one person that I wouldn't want back on, and it's a shame that I don't get to pull people back on constantly. My my mind is, and scheduling is probably my greatest anxiety with doing this. So I just I I plan, and then I don't like to I don't like to pester. I don't like to poke. I'm like, here you go. Okay, I'm like, I want to get this set in stone because I want to move to the next week, and then then that, and then get it done. But uh, that's probably my my biggest anxiety. Um, uh, but yeah, but I appreciate like I can toss something out there and people respond, and that's great. Like I never had that before, and just hope to keep on going. And I hope you like my ideas I have for the second year because some things are gonna be a little different at times. Uh, you're gonna get mm-hmm. the con- consistent stuff, but things will be different. I hope bring some new faces and those old ones that I want to see again myself. Uh, because like these conversations I have uh, late at nights, uh, talking movies and stuff are like seriously uh, uh, a giant highlight for me in life. And getting to express this and be with like-minded people is just a real treat for me to do constantly. So and the yeah. fact that I've ever been able to do it for a whole year the way I have, I, I have no idea how I did it, but who knows. Well, you've done a wonderful job with it. You know what you're talking about. You do your research and your care shows through. So that's why I think you get the listeners keeping coming or to keep coming back because they know you care. And if you care, then they're bound to start caring. So thank you for all that you've done for this year. And I, I now promise, I promise people I do spend time with my children. I promise. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yes. And now we're going to talk about a film that was chosen by Brandon for this special occasion. And this does not count on his Twitter thing either. Nope. Um, 
this does not neither count tomorrow that, so. or Wednesday or Friday or Thursday this week. None of those count. So, so here we are. Blood and Black Lace, 1964 Italian horror. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance, of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and Black Lace. <laughs> Who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy, this holocaust of lives? Blood and black lace in bleeding color. A shattering, shivering, shocking experience. Directed by Mario Bava, written by Michael Fondato, with collaboration of Giuseppe Barilla and Michael Mario Bava, starring Cameron Mitchell, uh, Ava Bartok, Thomas Reiner, Ariana Gorini, Mary Arden, and Leah Lander. It's about a mass shadowy killer, brutally murders the models of a scandalous fashion house in Rome. So, so what made you choose this film? And then you can discuss a little bit more about it. And then you are now, I'm bestowing the crown of right. back onto you. Why Blood and Black Lace? Oh my. So anybody who's probably known me in my podcasting years, maybe, uh, knows I have found this affinity for Italian horror that has like, been like a seed planted in my youth that didn't sprout till adulthood almost so like i watched stuff like this on vhs because it was at the rental store or i don't think they showed much of it on tv but they were always crummy copies they always look like garbage that and they were cropped and some of them weren't even the correct cuts like they were just <laughs> edited up and so I was like, I don't get it. The only one that really affected me back then I liked was Suspiria. Oh, yeah. And I think Fulci Zombie I liked a little bit, but like they just weren't doing it for me. Then when I moved to Los Angeles and I worked at IQC, International Quality Control, we had, which later became Testronic Laboratories, we had a company called Blue Underground and we had Anchor Bay for clients. And... They would put out these Jallo movies, like all sorts of Italian stuff, and I would have to do uh, what's called a linear pass, which is watching the movie, but you're listening for audio, you're watching the transfer to make sure there's no errors in it, and you're checking the subtitle stream all at the same time. Sometimes, not for these movies, but sometimes with like a Harry Potter, you'd have to watch four screens at once. Crazy. Mm four subtitle tracks but oh my gosh so i watch them there and i'm like yeah and the dvd transfers dvds they may have been now not cropped anymore but they still look like trash 
and they were still sometimes the wrong cuts of the movies. So I started, I liked them a little bit more. They were weird, interesting movies. And then when I got, when it came to like Blu-ray, now these things look amazing. And then I started watching these and being like, I kind of really dig these things. I think maybe I got on the wavelength. Maybe I got on the vibe and going back through them. And I really love, and I think Mario Bava, who directed this film, Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci are absolute masters of their craft and in a way that you have to really dive into them see who they are see what they're getting understand what you're getting and then you can probably enjoy them yeah it sounds like a lot of work but i really appreciate their ideologies mentalities because it takes a little bit more because we're american we're not italian we don't think about we don't see film the same way we don't Mm -hmm. see like i mean like fellini he was a pioneer uh, all his stuff like there was nothing like what he was doing he influenced over here because he was such a powerful voice in the horror genre that was these guys and a yep. lot of stuff gets used this movie yes. was a not a successful film when it came out but it was one of the most influential in the wake and it's been reassessed going back um, but this one particular like this is a the it's not the first giallo film, which a giallo mm-hmm. film basically in simple terms uh for those who don't understand and we talked about one back uh, we talked about the bird with the crystal plumage back in one of my earliest episodes, which is Argento's first movie, which wouldn't exist without this one yeah. uh, but this is the it's not the first one, but it's the f- like the first like this is what a giallo is gonna be the rest of the way yes and I mean the this kind of almost like established what we see a lot of that um, kind of exploitative mm-hmm. and um, just kind of that women trope of like attacking beautiful women right. in like a film like this set it up um, yeah. in a way that nobody had done it before. And when you presented this movie to me, I had heard the name. I known it and I like horror, but my history of it is more American based and yet to even fully appreciate American horror, you really do have to look at what other like countries and genres were doing that influenced it because this came out in 64. Yeah. And if you, and watching it now, I go, wow, this really feels like a lot of the stuff that we saw in like the like seventies or eighties in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was happening before. So it's fascinating to see. And just the deliberate nature of each shot and the style and the colors and there's such purpose to everything in an italian like in these films that sets it apart from other horror films um especially nowadays where there's more of like kind of this reckless feel to it these giallo films really kind of focused on style sometimes and one of the main criticisms was style over substance because people right. will be like the story makes no sense they get crazy you, you, they do they do this one not so much as crazy as other ones i think the plot is pretty straightforward you could follow along but it's just pretty to watch yeah um so i was excited to dig into that and appreciate kind of what that became and how like you can even look at it and then I was well, I don't want to get on too many tangents yet. So let's talk about okay. the movie before I start. I did, sailing. I did, I did forget. So Jallo, the simple way of thinking of a Jallo yeah. film a lot of the time, because people will be like, Oh, Suspiria is a Jallo. Spirit is not a Jallo. It's just an Italian horror film. 
A giallo comes from a term, there used to be these pulpy paperback novels, and yes. they were yellow binding. But to put it in a simpler term, and this isn't going to describe them all, but it's a murder mystery, but the emphasis is on eroticism and blood. Like, yes, that's what they, that's what it is. There are tropes that go with it, but that's for simple. That's what it is. It's a murder mystery. You're going to get some sexy things in there and you're going to get some gory things in there. And that's, that's yep. where you get the gel. It's not quite a slasher. Um, nope. but yeah, uh, that's simple. What a giallo is. That's what I was noticing. I was noticing how it's set up very much like a traditional, like whodunit type of movie, but then takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's kind of like there's the whole police officer scenes throughout this movie and they're trying to figure out and uncover the truth behind it. So yeah, it is, it is basically like, because Italian movies were doing the um, mysteries and thrillers and all that. This now where it's like, oh, we're going to add some extra spice to it. Right. And that's where you start getting the blood and gore. And even the stylized nature. I love the blood in this movie. It's yeah. so like thick and stylized. So that was that's fun for that one. But again, 1964, this came out with such vibrant colors, so much like aggression towards these kills that they don't really hold back. And mm-hmm. given their limited resources, and I was reading that this film, um, Mario Bava got a lesser budget for this film compared yep. to his other films too. So he still managed to pull off this grand kind of feel and luxury, like luxury vibe and fashion house with a lesser budget and still kind of digging into that mood and feel of it all he very much was like an italian kubrick he was a cinematographer before he became a director and in fact he finished directing quite a few films before he became an actual credited director and that's where you get the ability on that low budget for him to make it look like a million like a ton of money and like he used there was no dolly tracks or anything in this it was a kids red wagon that they and it looks great i I would never have known that i would never have known that you pulled it on a wagon there's a scene where he wanders through a dark thing where they're going through the mannequins and Mm -hmm. and then there's also the one i really like the scene where they've got the four fitting area type things yes and he, he goes across and he goes back and he stops and he keeps getting zoomer zooming in more on each one. And I really and I'm like, that's a wagon. He's pulling a wagon, like doing that with a big camera. Like it's it's crazy, but that's it's what he used here because he found a way to save money. But also, I mean, this movie looks like it also looks big in scale. Like it's huge. Like they're huge like, in scale. I'm not gonna I don't mean dismarvel, but this looks gigantic compared to like a marvel movie when i'm watching it at home you know like it's characters look giant they look feels big to me uh the rooms are huge in this uh fashion house and the other places they go to um it's it's really just the scale is awesome and he also i mean this is before you know we're you know here it is and everything else is in the backgrounds blurry but everything's super focused like the background's focused the foreground's focused like you can see clearly everything and that really helps with all the colors he's using too with his crazy use of filters i mean that's this is like a a mute movie you could just sit look at and on mute and just go damn this looks really pretty I actually, I put it on twice. I watched it once to like, kind of prepare. And then I was just like, did I really pick up everything that I needed to? And I just kind of put it on. And because it is all, it is 
born it is Italian, I wasn't always able to like read the subtitles or look away and just having it on in the background of just mm-hmm. the scale of it, the colors, it was just beautiful to like, just look at. Um, and that's the thing that I appreciate about this movie and Italian movies. And that's what made me think of, uh, <laughs> I know it's kind of random, but, um, I love Lucy when she mm-hmm. went to be in an Italian film and the melodrama that goes with it. And the irony of that melodrama is somehow in these movies, it still feels natural. Like, mm-hmm. you know that they're putting it on and you, you, it, it feels more theatrical, but that's old Hollywood too. There is a sense of kind of this theatrical nature of it. Like you're watching it live as opposed to detailing in on just like a film where you highlight like highlights or a moment. This feels like they just let the camera roll and capture the whole thing. And just, again, you talked about focus of not really differentiating between background and foreground. So it does feel like you're in the room with them because right, you're not yeah. blurring anything out. And their, their expressive nature you would think is bad acting, but it's not, it's actually quite, it's it's appropriate anything more subtle would actually go against the point of the movie so you feel like you you believe what's actually happening in their reactions and in their thing and that's why even when like lucille ball is pretending to be in an italian film i was just like even when she did it just kind of mimicking the style and that you go this works and that kind of again is a testament to a limited resources and just how deliberate films had to be because they didn't have many opportunities to reshoot or this or that. So they just kind of had to know what they were doing and have the vision to bring it to life without saying, let's just try this and hope for the best. It's like, this will work and we're going to make it work. And in horror, that's even harder because you're having to evoke fear and you're having to like strategically do these kill sequences that people could genuinely get hurt. And I don't think people realize, and I think horror is an ignored genre in terms of a skill set. You rarely see it nominated for awards. You rarely, again, mm-hmm. you, you, this movie got terrible reviews when it first came out and people are recognizing the appreciation, but there's so much skill and awareness that you need to make a horror film that you don't really always get those, especially because it's a kind of ignored genre or they're given like lesser budgets you you have to be so purposeful for each thing you do because you don't get another chance to do it. So I think there's a certain level of appreciation to this and the grand nature of the Roman fashion house and the just the luxury set and everything else. When you just go, they really like one time we got to get it and created this kind of beautiful film that still is torturing women so i mean it's a little like jarring to it's, think of like the context that's the contrast he's yeah got this beautiful i mean you've got great fashion you've got great sets you got just wonderful lighting beautiful people and murder like like grisly awful like there's one he just like it's strangling it's fight like the murder is not like you're dead the murderer yeah, no. struggles, and and it makes the the reveal of who the killers are work, because like oh I I I could see where both of them would struggle with with people, and there's also a great contrast as well um, that I I liked with I love with it is it's this world of fashion, and all the people are really um, they're you know model women they're petite women, but it's also more effeminate male figures. So who's against them? 
it's the police officer who's this big hulking, like way oversized guy to contrast and impose himself on that industry to where they make ridiculous decisions that yeah. are like, oh, I don't know, they're, they're scared. Um, and he's just doing his job, but he's a very imposing guy to contrast with the world of fashion. Um, and I think that's a pretty nice move there as well um, that he, that Bava puts in. Like he's very aware of everything. And that's what I like. Yep. I love with the filmmaker, whereas I'm, I'm a, a film guy. I am a cinematography nut with because that's what it has over other mediums you can have mm-hmm. uh great scripts or read you can read a book well i mean you can you can watch a stage production with great acting but film the cinematography where you can visually cue you can tell stories with no like silent films you can tell them with no dialogue that's where i, I will I will stand for a film that may be subpar in the script department, but I'm like, but it was shot beautifully. They had great ideas. And Bob is conveying stuff visually and maybe where his script lacks. Like there's, there's a awesome scene with where they find the diary of the first girl murdered. And it's going to reveal some things about multiple different people, apparently. And one uh, one of the girls is going to take it to the police, but she puts it in her purse and she sets it down. And we just have the camera sitting on that purse. And people walking by and people walking by. And you're like, somebody's going to take that. And then we get a person looking at the purse. And then we get another uh, suspect looking at it. And we just watch that purse. Watch it. And nothing happens. It's Nothing happens to that purse to like, we don't even see when it would have happened. But it's great to just sit there and drive us nuts going like mm-hmm. that it's very hitchcock very very yep. hitchcock and there's another hitchcock moment where the killer takes the uh, woman who's burning that that steals the diary yeah and the police show up at her place and now we have suspense of is he going to get her body out of there before the police like we have reversed it's uh almost made it to this week folks but it's not gonna be talk frenzy the alfred hitchcock movie is one of my favorites but that yeah. movie is based upon you having suspense for the mur- the strangler in that movie because he's trying to get bodies hidden and you're like, oh gosh, he's going to get caught. Like, wait, why do I not want this guy to get caught? It's the Breaking Bad thing. Walter White. Like, you're yep. rooting for a guy that, you're rooting against the police on this awful guy. And it's great reverse suspense and Hitchcock was a master at that. Um, and this is right here in that moment, um, not for the whole movie, but in that moment, he's able to, to reverse the suspense there. And you can tell him he learned that from Hitchcock. He's got a lot of, a lot of Stanley Kubrick in him. He's, he's definitely, mm-hmm. he has this run of like 10 years of really terrific films. Some that are valued. Like you said, like either it's scenes, ideas, cinematography for one reason or another, they're not all perfect. Um, but this is definitely up there and it just, the look of it, there's nothing like it. And it definitely, Definitely influences the slashers. He has another film called A Bay of Blood, which really... You watch Friday the 13th Part 2, and then you go back to Bay of Blood, and you're like, they they saw this movie, right? And they're like, they're all like, no, we didn't know. We didn't. It's like, there's a lot of similarities between the two. So, Well, that's interesting that you mentioned the killer, but what this movie kind of does that makes it actually almost creepier is the killer is very much human, like a man who's actually clumsy, like not clumsy per se, but isn't just so like 
like directed and on top of everything like this mm-hmm. myth- mythical figure it just it's a real man who's attacking these women so there's something kind of almost jarring about knowing that there is a struggle like these yeah. women struggle he's kind of awkward with his kills he's not just quick in there done i did there is that just like oh my god he's now screwing it up and she's now not knowing what to do and this is something that i always talk about one of the things like people always criticize horror movies and this is a bit of a tangent but one of my loves for horror movies we always like constantly like yell at the screen going, why are you doing that? Like, oh my God, the killer's there. The people in these movies don't know right, yeah. that there is a killer around. So like, we don't know what we would do. And we're also seeing other perspectives that that person might not be aware of. They might not be able to like, if somebody's chasing you, you're not scanning the whole room necessarily realizing there's like something right next to you that you should pick up or you don't know somebody's upstairs because when you're just showing up at home, you don't want to live in fear that somebody's upstairs. So there's like a certain level of, um, and if you're not a track star, barricading yourself upstairs <laughs> might be the better idea. Exactly. <laughs> so I think it's so funny how quick we are. Like you could see somebody's true, like you could see kind of a person and how they handle a horror movie and how they criticize people in it because we're so judgmental of like everybody who gets killed in a horror movie and it's like do you know what like uh, nobody like hey like hopefully people don't have experience of being chased with a knife and like that's another thing and we don't know what we're gonna do and it's frantic and you're just panicking that like i don't think our strategic like we're that strategic in those moments so i've i found myself a few times like just being frustrated with these women when um the diary scene when she's about to burn it mm-hmm. and the killer which i love the detail that he um wrote on a piece of paper like where right. is the diary before doing it not speaking so you can tell that you're like there's clearly motive here there's something like there's there's a there, like that's where the mystery comes in it's not just a killer just for like bloodlust but there is a sense of doing it but then you find out at the end they're like framing like they're trying to frame and set up and it, it gets more convoluted but i love the ending scene actually um which we'll talk we, we can talk on but when um he's like digging through the fire pit to try to find um mm-hmm. or the fireplace to find the diary she's like grabbing on the phone i'm like knock him over the head <laughs> and you just want her to do something but she's not because clearly he's distracted there for a moment and she's trying to call the police. And then you like find out that police are coming and then he's frantic and the body's there and he's knocking her out. And you're just like, Oh my God, you're, you're in that frantic state where everybody doesn't know what the best option is at that particular moment. The killer, you don't know if he's just like, does he want more blood on his hands at this point? Or does he just want to like figure out what the diary is and get out of there? Will he be caught here? Will she survive it and like live to tell about it? So there's so much just bizarre tension that's created in the middle of the scene. That's not like typical slasher films where it's just like, you're waiting for the kill shot in mm-hmm. this one. You're kind of like, what's this kill going to, because um, the kills are quite graphic, which is surprising to me too. Like he has that weird three clawed hook thing that like goes in the eyes and the mouth and yeah. like claws at her face. Another woman, he just like burns her face in on the thing. And you're like, Oh, you, you're not holding back on these kills. You're not just like, right. Um, doing it. So it's interesting that these stories, and you can talk more on, um, how kills are done in other of the horror films, but what's funny. And even though it's not funny, it's grotesque, but it's funny that these films, decide to do as grotesque kills as they do which for the point of the story are unnecessary in the scheme of things like right. this killer like kill 
to keep people silent, why take it to that next level? And that's kind of the point of these films is allowing that to happen, which was almost an invite for other films in the future to be like, so we can just brutally kill people without like <laughs> necessity, like just, right. just for funsies. Um, and this is where you start seeing it versus like what you had before of like psycho in America, where it's just kind of a simple kill in a shower um, still gruesome, still iconic, but this takes it to a whole nother of just unnecessary violence for the sake of violence. Like the woman's already dead and you're still like digging into her face. Um, and that, that really starts kind of evolving horror for what we see today, where now it's just like everybody wants to one up each other on these right. kill sequences. Um, and this was happening in 1964, where you could have seen a couple of these kills in a Saw movie today and be still going like, ooh, that's terrible. And that is something that I kind of find fascinating, which, again, you bringing this Italian horror to me and me liking horror going like, they were doing this in 1964. Oh, my goodness. Right. Um, in ways that Psycho Hitchcock didn't do. And then we start seeing, because I got the first real slasher in america is um black christmas right which is so not what people i always forget and the uh, um, classic like the calls coming from inside the house is black christmas mm -hmm. which no one really ever thinks about being kind of that thing but it's almost the same movie in a weird not the same killer but the same format of a movie of a bunch of girls in a sorority versus a bunch of women in a fashion house getting murdered um, by kind of an in-house killer. I mean, the killer in this movie, spoiler, is somebody attached to the fashion house to begin right. with. And the killer in like Black Christmas was somebody associated with like a crazy person inside the sorority house kind of plucking these people. So it's interesting to see how that just kind of plucking off women really kind of started in 64 in this film. Well, they also um, did the thing that Scream was given a, a novelty with, with its killer already here too as well. yes um, exactly so and and you're talking the killer is it like in the beginning of the movie and you see and it's just a part of the question by the cops and, and there's red herrings constantly thrown until you get the big reveal and then they still throw in a little bit of a twist at the end right to like make you and um this is the most bizarre tangent of all but while watching it that last sequence and I'm late to the party on this TV show, but I finally watched all of Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. um, all all of it, and the I won't discuss that because that's a whole other lifestyle. Um, but the final <laughs> sequence, like I get, I get the I, I managed to avoid spoilers all these years on Game of Thrones, and I finally watched it, and I get why everybody was enraged in the final episode because oh my god! But that final sequence of Jon Snow. And Daenerys, mm -hmm. I mean, like, pause for, or fast forward if you've never seen Game of Thrones. Um, the two of them holding each other in the final, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, yeah. The two of them holding to each other is literally the, la like the <laughs> last frame of this movie. Right. Um, it, because you don't know, because literally in that moment in Game of Thrones, when they're both holding each other, you don't know, you know somebody just died. And you don't know, based on the shot and the close-up, of kind of the bust of both of them, if it's Daenerys or Jon Snow, did she take him out or did he take her out? You don't know. And the same thing, I'm watching this movie going, who died? Who just died? Because you don't know in that moment which of the two people holding each other 
died because there is there was a mutual love and respect that these two people had for each right. other, but they knew they could not coexist. And I know that's the most I know Game of Thrones had no intention of mimicking it, but literally the exact framing of the two of them in Game of Thrones is identical to the two of them in um in this movie, although it was a sword versus a gunshot. Um, but the actual like reveal and mm-hmm. falling to the ground and like who who died in this embrace um, was the same. So that was just really funny to me that I watched it and I was like, frame by frame, this is exact. They may not um, have it may not have come from this, but this begins here and then it passes on. So somewhere yes. along the line, they see something influenced by something by something by something that may have started with. I did it because I saw it in this movie. Well, I did because exactly. I saw it in your movie. Well, I did because I saw it in his movie. That was your movie. That's what happened. It's the beauty of film. And a lot of people are like, well, is there anything? Everything has always, we're, we're like, everything is always a reaction to how you felt about something you saw as well. You were inspired by, mm-hmm. like, it came from somebody else. Like, we have original ideas, yes, but a lot of them are original spins on our reactions to such and such an idea. Like, that's yeah. what they can be. But yeah, that's true that I never put Game of Thrones in this together, but you wouldn't have, but I'm just saying it was fresh <laughs> on my mind and just yeah. that, but like, it still evokes that same emotion of yeah. like, Oh my God, like they're both about to embrace it, and you know that the tables are, I mean, it was almost the same setup between Daenerys and Jon Snow to have like, like, you know, that these two people found out something about each other and you know that they mm-hmm. no longer can coexist. It's very funny to me, the parallel that I drew there. But again, that goes to show that this movie isn't, even though it's like Italian horror because of the kill sequences, the overall framework of the movie is still kind of that mystery, like kind of package. It's um, like no, so that's noir, what, yeah. but what if color? Like lots exactly. of it. Exactly. Um, exactly. I, I, it I is just, that. I can see that ending happening in a noir movie to like, oh, I, oh, she shot him. Oh, you know, like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's exactly. I mean, it did feel very much like a film noir with mm-hmm. blood. It's like like if film noir went to the Wizard of Oz and like like there were right, in Oz, yeah. and now we got Super- Technicolor kills. Yeah. Um, so so that that's actually a good way to look at it. Is you start the film off like it could be black and white, and then you're just like the minute the first kill happens, it's like there's color now, and you're like, oh, we're not in a film noir anymore, are we? We just crossed over. So so yeah, there there's a weird parallel to the Wizard of Oz that you would never think of. Of that's per- I love being- that. I love that take. I'm yeah. gonna use it now, Greg. I'm gonna use it. Uh, which Perfect. it starts. We haven't talked about the opening. It's this hellacious yeah. storm going on. And one thing I love about Italians is their storms. They they create the best nightmarish sequences ever. They're heightened realities. They're just spooky as hell. They're like. I want to walk through this haunted attraction type things. Yes. And uh, this this uh, this storm is a Fulci storm. It's an Argento storm. Like, it's, it's lightning, thunder. You know, the, the lightning hits, you see it flash, and the thunder hits at the same time, but I don't give a shit. I'm watching a movie, and that makes it crazier. Um, it's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the storm. Well, the, and the way they set up the storm, too, is even better of just like, the sign fell down. I have to fix it. It's yep. like, it's a storm. Nobody cares about yeah. the sign right now, dude. Yep. Uh, oh, gosh. And, and the foggy, this out in the garden area. Um, and there's just, there's some, gosh, there's some realistic touches to it, too. Like when the woman, 
leaves and she doesn't want to go home by herself and she gets her car and she goes forward almost hits the car and then backs into a tree leave i'm like okay sure like why did we need to leave that in here but it's funny it works um and then she has a dead body in her car too so when she hit that trunk in there there was a dead body shaking but um that's again that's what i like mean about these films there's even though they're melodramatic there's something that still inherently feels natural for them i think because they create such a world that you are that you just are on board for whatever is happening within that world so you believe it because it fits that world there's no um i'm losing words it's already it's been a long day um (laughs) discrepancy but that's not the word but like that idea of like a Mm -hmm. discrepancy between um between concepts you know it's like this doesn't belong like everything kind of feels like it belongs in this story even when it starts to kind of like spiral in like kind of the absurd you just go with it because you know it's not intentional and i don't think in this film and in all these kind of italian films they're as focused on the actual story as they are just kind of the overall emotion evoked and overall style of it like the script is kind of not secondary because i know Mm -hmm. people care about it but it is it is more like they're not patting themselves on the back going like oh we nailed it with this line but they're just going like looking at it going, we nailed it with this shot. Um, And unlike a lot of films or a lot of like horror and things that you see today, there's people who just try to be overly clever or think that they are. And they're just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we really are killing it with this dialogue. And it's like, Oh, calm down. Um, Ryan Murphy. What? Sorry. Um, I won't get into that one. He is the, uh, I I will say this. Yeah. I don't know if I've said this on air somewhere before, but I consider him the Cliff's Notes of Horror because he cheats his way through and I'm not sure he knows what he's talking about most of the time. But and that's it, just me. Yeah. I, 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 I typically refuse to say negative things about things because there's so many things that I right. love and get excited about. But there's something that just is so jarring with me because there's so many great concepts there within like his work. He can start something you, really good. But ugh, how do you not know how to like land that ending or just derail it? And and yet you have these Italian films that are just going off the rails and yet you're like on board the whole way through. And yet he just, he loses me and then I just get angry. So, but that's beside the point. And I think that's just because um, like now horror and just movies in general, because the streaming services are now content farms rather than deliberate filmmaking right. procedures, um, processes. So um, but that could be another episode on itself of like what happened to film. Not that Let, good things are being made. Let's talk streaming. A future episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm down for that. Um, got lots of opinions on that. But that's why I just appreciate kind of looking at old films, even though you have to be in the mood for them. I will say mm-hmm. that watching this, I had to get myself in the mood for because it isn't the most it's not something you just put on like a Netflix thing and just let it play and go, Oh, I'm picking it up. You have to actually it wants your attention. watch it. I will give you a hint. Um, you mentioned you watch it with Italian subtitles. I didn't know if you had the option, but all these Italian movies, the horror and stuff, they didn't film with sound back then on these productions. So if you're watching an English dub, it's just as good as watching an Italian dub because everybody spoke their native languages on set. And they dubbed, they didn't film at like every sound effect, everything fully, all the voices dubbed later. Um, so all the Italian horror movies, you can watch with English guilt free. If someone's like, oh, I watch it native Italian, doesn't matter. It's not what they, 
uh, Cameron Mitchell was speaking in English on set while someone else was speaking Italian back at him, trying to make their really? mouth look like English for the American market. So yeah, I didn't know that. Um, I yeah, I. I I didn't know, like, I, I'm curious to now if watch this with it dubbed in English because I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was an option to do that. Um, but I'm glad I didn't either yeah. because I wanted to, like, if you're going to do a foreign film, you want to do it ideally. But now that I know it was all like redubbed anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just think the Italian lends itself to the grace of the, the shots of the film. Mm-hmm. Versus if you were to hear some of those lines in subtitles that I read in English going like, that would not sound very nice in English right now. One thing I I like that helps me with the Italian films and when I watch it with the English dub and stuff, there's a certain like off-centeredness to it that adds an eeriness around things when I watch it that way. It's like something already has me uneasy and it helps add to, to some of the spookiness of things. Uh, with it, which True. Eastwood Eastwood had a big when he did the Man with No Name trilogy, which one of his big things is, or maybe it was him, or I might be misquoting someone else from an Italian movie. They they said like you'd be trying to do a scene with people, and there'd be someone like hammering away, banging on, building the next set or something over, and it didn't matter to the director or anybody because they weren't recording sound, and you'd, you'd have this loud distractions going on where on normal American movie sets quiet do your scene yeah. but this you'd hear a saw going you'd hear all sorts of things while you're trying to do a you know intimate deep scene but fascinating see i did not know all of that that's i mean i think i knew some of that about filmmaking but then for some reason i didn't apply it to this which i mean like i feel like that would make certain elements of doing a horror movie mm-hmm. easier knowing that you're able to have freedom with noise in the background while you're right. working on things because you could probably just let yourself let the moment take over. Um, and then, well, I listened to like something recently and heard stuff about um, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the, like the behind the scenes of just the making of that movie and that horror movie and what they did. Oh, speaking of, this is uh, totally unrelated, but I still am like mind blown by it. The grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is <laughs> like, like a 20 year old. Yeah. Like he was 20 with like a random did not know that I rewatched it after it was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. So fascinating. So just, I mean, there's certain things about like, they went through hell uh, and nobody got paid. I know. And it's so devastating that they did. They actually cut her finger and didn't tell her when they needed the blood. And the kid was that and people vomiting. It was such a, like a shit show on that. And, um, but you know what? And there, that is, that goes to show you that the, um, director, um, Tom, like he had such a vision for that movie and like made it look not expensive is the right word, but made it look purposeful and really just created a mood and a feel that's right. iconic to this yeah. day. Um, Him and so, Daniel and then, Pearl. Like, yeah, they, yep. they put together and Pearl ended up shooting the remake too. Um, and then you have like Mario Brava, like Baba, yeah. who did these like Italian films and then like influence other people and was given less of a budget because people are like, what can you do? And like created kind of these very sub genre masterpieces within that. Like if it's not for everybody, but for what it is and it's aware of what it is. And that's why I think I can appreciate it more in certain things when movies, whether you like them or not know what they are and are made with that awareness of what they're creating, mm-hmm. you you can't really knock it for that. It's not trying to be something that it isn't. 
And this film kind of set the standard for what other films could be and could do. And just, I love the color and lighting. And um, I also read in preparation for this, there was a random article that just popped up, um, not because of this, but it was ironic that the um, article did pop up uh, because I recently watched Malignant on HBO. Yeah. And the article was saying, Malignant and Last Night in Soho, which I can't wait to see. Oh, yes, that's um, on my. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to avoid reading as much as I can about it, but this article basically said, "Is this the return of the giallo type film and this subgenre?" And it basically was saying how these two films are kind of saying, "Could this mean that we're having like kind of this like giallo renaissance?" Um, and I find that kind of fascinating because. Um, I watched Malignant after I rewatched this one mm-hmm. and I could see the parallels there, especially the opening. I won't give spoilers for that because it's so new. Um, but the opening scene of Malignant is very much kind of in the vein of a giallo type film, the color contrast, the over the stylized kind of the heightened dialogue that yeah. was kind of bizarre. And then you kind of get touches of that throughout the film and then you just watch the trailer for last night in Soho and you're like, Oh, I see it there. I mean, like the people listening can't see the color of my screen right now, but I'm like this kind of peakish purplish color um, magenta. That's very much used in um, blood and black lace, but that color is prominently featured in last night in Soho mm-hmm. and just the, the sharp blues, reds and, and deliberate cinematography just looks stunning in that. So I'm curious to know if that article was making like a stretch or if the intent, because I didn't really look into what directors thought about Malignant and last night. So if, yeah, if, if this was really their, their nod to the genre, or is it just something they appreciate because these colors and things have been used in, um, in sci-fi and even like Marvel movies and Tim Burton kind of does a lot of the color contrast Mm -hmm. and bright, bold things too. So um, again, which you can look back to before that, which is these films. Um, so I'm curious to know if, if this genre really is coming back, this kind of mystery uncovering truth with brutal kill sequences is a, we're having that style. Come right. Back. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have, uh, we, I mean, we have filmmakers who are unafraid to admit that these are things they like nowadays. I mean, everything's game now. Um, we had like neon demon like five years ago, which yes. was very, very much uh, in that vein. And we had the Suspiria remake wasn't as colorful though as well. I'm glad cause it was his own thing. Um, yeah, it really was. Agreed. Um, but they, yeah. So maybe they're bringing that. They have malignant had a lot of technical touches that were very, reminiscent of that and i i welcomed all that um which uh i will say baba this he has this but he's influential in a lot of like he gets more grisly with some like his film rabid which i really like a lot um i think it's called rabid dogs too or there's a couple different titles but that one's pretty grisly um bay of blood as i mentioned but he also has very um hammer uh aip type movies like he's got kill baby kill which was i was between those two for this one that was more gothic yeah. horror um just masters it he does this movie like either a film after this or the next one called planet of the vampires it's alien before alien ha- like it's a huge influence on alien and and uh john carpenter and 
um, Ed O'Bannon. Ed O'Bannon, who wrote the original Alien, it was later David Geiler touched it up and made it what it was. But uh, him and John Carpenter wrote a movie called Dark Star, which was Carpenter's technically his first feature film. It was a student film that ended up getting pushed into theaters. Um, but that was based very heavily influenced by Planet of the Vampires. So he's got his touches there. His, I mean, his uh, film before this, um, what was it? Uh, Girl Who Knew Too Much is one of the titles. And uh, that is considered one of the prime Jallos, like original Jallos. It's got John Saxon in it. Um, mystery not as bloody and stuff like this, but definitely very spooky. And his Black Sunday is highly um, uh, very influential as well in different ways. Like he's just all over the map. Like this little like 10 year period of his is just one of the most influential from any filmmakers ever. And people about Baba horror, oh, but you'll see so many other non-horror stuffs get influenced by mm-hmm. his work. I mean, he does an anthology with Boris Karloff called Black Sabbath, which I think you guys have heard of a band called Black Sabbath <laughs> before. But uh, yeah, he's just crazy good uh, what he does. Him and like uh, Argento would be that like the torch gets passed after mm-hmm. this, and and Ar- Argento goes on a hell of a run himself, like just amazing stuff through the seventies and much of the 80s uh and is a guy that i i know is a acquired taste for people but i i love what he brings um and he's got a lot of philosophical ideas that he's not afraid to showcase in his movie um that i don't think people quite understand or it's a little too metaphysical too weird for people to get on board with um but that's those are those two dudes are for other days but baba here yeah great and i think too with I want to say this. I'm a guy, so if I'm way off on this, whatever. <laughs> um, but I feel like the way he treats like women in this movie is in a, even though they're brutally murdered and stuff, it's in a respectful way. It's not in a like sexy way or anything like that. I feel like um, he's daring you to be like, oh, you think that's hot? There's no like really gross like s- sex things or anything in that, and there's no. I don't feel like there's any, like, well, there's no nudity in the movie, for one. No. Uh, but it's not, like, going out of its way to flash body parts in a, like, alluring fashion. I feel like, I don't know, he's try- if he does, he's trying to contrast it with gruesome kills. But that's yeah. kind of what I got. I mean, yeah. that's, that, like, because I was reading, there. there's some debate about that exploitative nature of it mm-hmm. and just how they, like, not only had the kill, but then they had like the women re-shown the second time to like the police and everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's something kind of almost like, like, oh, we shouldn't be looking at this type of like yeah. feel to it. But the entire genre itself, like, just lent. I think it just. I think people now looking back of just the notion of, well, and this I forgot to mention earlier. The original title for this movie or the Italian title is Six Women for the Murderer." Yeah. So like it not even holding back so i just think the nature of it very much highlighting its attack on women so Mm -hmm. deliberately and intentionally is kind of that like kind of questionable mark but so many films do that and i do agree that this is done with a certain care unlike other movies there are a lot Um, of genres that is not this care there's a lot exactly he handles it well argento handles it well 
uh, when I talked Bird with the Crystal Plumage on this show, um, Molly Henry, who uh, was on here, was m- notating that there's a there was a specific way that Argento filmed it that was respectful of a woman, uh, even in the most dire or sexual natures, the way he used the camera and stuff. And I feel like this was even less, way less than yeah. that. So yeah, um, but agreed. You'll get ones that just dig into they get more exploitative basically yes and i mean once you get the welcome to do it then people are like how much further can we go which is Mm -hmm. what we saw in like the 2000s in america stuff where it was just like how gruesome can we get how much can we push boundaries in movies so i mean if somebody does it tastefully then somebody's gonna one-up it and yeah take it to the next level and this this felt expensive even though it mm-hmm. wasn't as expensive so you can imagine that the other films that maybe don't have the notoriety behind it just was like oh we're gonna do this and we're just right. gonna go for it in their own way so um so but that but then that's the difference between somebody who's like a filmmaker and somebody who just like makes a movie right um and he's he's a filmmaker who has a vision versus somebody who's just trying to push a boundary, which could lead to other things too. So that doesn't make somebody who just wants to make, do a movie because um, look at what happened to like a Serbian film, which is a very niche specific movie that takes every horrific humanly like thing that you could ever imagine. And gleefully we're throwing it into it. Gleefully. Um, And, and it does that. And then it's just like, now that opens up a discussion that I don't think anybody even wanted to have. So does that movie serve a purpose in this world? Who knows? Um, it served the purpose of being like a dare movie. That's that's why I yeah. watched it. I'm like, oh, this is some horrific stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of Serbian. I, like, I feel like there was something really good there. And then yeah. they just got too into pushing buttons. Way too into pushing I, buttons. I'm... And I think I think the story, the story, the ending is one of the most horrific things I've ever said. But the ending shot, like it was actually made well. That's what feels dirty even yeah. saying it. Like, like this, the, the cinematography was interesting. This, the set was interesting. The, the style plot and of the it narrative was, is really good. Really good, and just that final shocking ending mm-hmm. was, I mean, shocking. But like. Oh, but then they like wove in a couple other things that I won't even say throughout the movie. And you're like, this isn't really needed um, to like drill in the Like you already have your ending that's going to shock the world. Why weave in all this random other crap just to like add to it? You threw too much in the basket. I will say, but it, did you ever see Kill List? Did I? Uh, I I don't have a recollection. Okay. If I did, maybe I did. But yeah, that's a movie that I tell people I'm like, don't have to watch Serbian film if you want the same effect from that ending in a cleaner, still effective way. Kill list is the way to go. Okay, but that's... well, now I'm curious to check it out because I mean, like some of these movies just all blur together when I went through like a phase of just watching stuff in like right. college. Um, so I'm like, maybe I saw things, but it, but foreign films are a little bit trickier for me to remember which is which because you don't have an actor that I can latch onto or something memorable and starts blending so now i'm curious but a serbian film you don't forget once you see it nope um, it always comes back to you so. too you're like oh fuck i'm thinking about a serbian film yeah so and and that one just put but again it but it, what's upsetting is 
it wasn't poor. It, I didn't think the acting was that bad. I didn't no. think the, the like the movie making was bad. And that's where it's it feels just really wrong to like say like it has some good things to it. Um, it's just it just not not a movie that needs to exist in terms of how they showed it. So yeah. But 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 Blood and Black Lace does exist and definitely changed the way movies were made. I do have a question. Who's the yeah. protagonist of this movie? Oh my goodness. There is none. There isn't any. I was going to say because it kind of takes you it kind of takes you on a journey of just yeah. exactly it, it it doesn't do it. I mean if that's the case then I mean indirectly the killer is but even yeah. then not really. So and that's it's not very really the interesting. Cop, so Yeah. No, it's not yeah. the cop even remotely. And and, and it really does it's almost like the movie is now that you say that, now that I think about it, it is very much like vignettes. It's mm-hmm. just like, like you could have used title cards to be like, kill one, kill two, kill three. And like, you just highlight the moment and you could mm-hmm. have broken it up that way um, until you get to the end. And it all, again, this one, unlike other ones that I've read about or like heard or remember kind of makes sense in theory compared to other ones. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just motivated by greed you understand like, oh, okay, I get why the killer did that. It actually kind of pans out the way it was. There's no like questioning going like, wait, could that have really, could they have been there? And even the final kill is great. Like I actually love that like the final kill, you knew who was doing it mm-hmm. by that point. I love that they like, switch, like the movie didn't even end. It wasn't like, uh, why are you doing this at the end? It kind of, it, it, it takes you on like a pre-ending before the ending right? Yeah. where it like the reveal of the killer isn't even the actual ending of the movie, which is interesting too. Um, yeah, there's still like 25 minutes left when you reveal and it's a great reveal. And you're like, Oh wait, maybe they know st- it is like, cause they, yep. yeah. And a lot of stuff, yep. the way stuff unravels after that, because it's that we get the reveal. We mentioned the journal that the killer writes in during the, the one killing, that gets returned to one of the suspects and you're like, Oh, and then you're like, well, maybe it's a phony. And then that person goes to the killers. We find where the killers layer, how you get there from following that person. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, it works really well. And then there's more it to does. it. There's we think, Oh, yep. okay. Well, someone's no, there's more to it. There's still another kill to go. Like it's, <laughs> And and they just and they explain why that kill has to happen too, mm-hmm. which like kind of then explains why all the other ones did. And you're like, wow, you're actually justifying these horrific killings in this movie. Which in a typical like film noir, you would have had a like a string of dead bodies, but you just wouldn't have necessarily seen them all die. Mm-hmm. And then you're being like, oh, so that's this the big difference um, there. I like how we've been talking about this movie like subtly trying not to give spoilers. Right, normally I spoil the crap out of it, but I'm like, I think I want people to check this out. I know, I've been like kind of careful. Like I said, like like somebody dies at the end, but I didn't say who. Like we've been very like strategic about avoiding certain things. But but Um, have been like really well encompassing the whole movie. Just there's a couple details we're leaving out that will change things for everyone. But Exactly, because the movie gives you enough red hair pairings throughout it that um mm. it'll like you do kind of go on a journey even though by the time you get there you're like oh but then like whether or not you think it's a payoff 
of like, oh, storytelling of like, oh, that's why they did it. Because people sometimes, a lot, again, a lot of reading and like doing research for this, people criticize kind of just the overall story being secondary to it. But again, I think they knew that filming it, it is, it's just the emotion is, is first and the feeling that you get from watching it is first and the actual like story beats are kind of or script moments are secondary like just the reveal of like oh it was greed and you're like oh okay Mm -hmm. that's not a big deal but you still are invested in how it all played out even if you didn't care about the motive unlike a lot of modern movies where once you find out the motive you're like oh this movie was stupid you don't think this movie is stupid at the end even though it's kind of a convoluted ending and you have to appreciate a film for being able to pull that off where you're just like oh that's why but not really like where the reveal doesn't even where the motive and the reveal doesn't even seem to matter as much as like the experience you got from watching it right um which is yeah cool I was like trying to work through my thoughts there in real time. And it it worked. Uh, okay, great. So anyway, um, uh, so there we go. Yeah. yeah. I have a quote from the movie uh, or from a, a piece I read that I really liked about it. Um, that said the blood of black lace's influence on future giallo is inestimable. Even if you just consider the aesthetic perspective, the black glove killer, the straight razor, vivid colors, beautiful women, foreboding mirrors, Violet rainstorms, crazy zooms, and elaborate set pieces are all here, and these visual conceits would continue to thrive in future installments in the genre. And yeah, and I want to add that I think a lot of times when people are talking the history of horror, film history and stuff, they jump from Psycho all the time straight to Halloween when it comes to knife killings or slashers, knife killings. They need so that's going from like 1959 to 1978. You're missing a whole bunch. This is five years after Psycho and taking things to another level, but probably because it's not in America, things don't count apparently. But I think that this one needs to stop there, even though it influences the Jalo, it immensely influences Carpenters. But there's Black Christmas on the way to Halloween, yeah, as that's well, I already mentioned, I yeah, yeah. Um, but and that's the influence, but like. This guy, he's a mass killer with a blank face, um, and you know it's the first mask guy. But also, like when I so Halloween's been my like my favorite film for as long as I can remember. Um, not as long as I can remember because I had others before I I found Halloween when I was young. But it, it, once I got into Italian films uh, and going back to all these and seeing them proper and Blu-ray stuff, I go back to Halloween. I'm like shit this aesthetically looks pretty italian now to me like i can see the visuals mm-hmm. of halloween the color mm-hmm. the color palette the way they shot it i'm like this is really influenced by italian stuff like really mm-hmm. influenced like there's argento in here there's baba um it's i'm like yeah that's it's undeniable and i never see it get credit as being very italian influenced and it clearly is like dean cundy john carpenter's look super italian and it goes through his other films too like you see it uh in the fog as well like it's got very and then the funny thing in reverse the italians go and knock off john carpenter consistently like all their films start like if he's influenced by them and then they're knocking off him they're like taking like you guys didn't have to move anywhere but like escape from new york that one got knocked off by the italians a ton uh halloween of course takes things to another level you'll see stuff like that but um in the fog as well, like you'll you'll see a lot of their horror get influenced by that. But it's like, guys, he was 
paying tribute to you. And then, but no wonder they liked him. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's the horror genre is kind of fascinating as like a whole and the evolution. And like I said, I had mentioned Black Christmas earlier because it just, it's a forgotten movie. Although the remake, whatever, what, whatever was going to remake the the people of Black Christmas. Oh, the most recent one. Okay. The, there's by one most in the recent, OOs. Like, yeah, there is. Um, which I always forget about um, because that kind of went under the radar. But the one that was like more mainstream, like four years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Image and Poops because 28 weeks later. Um, but that movie Fright was just Night messy. remake. She did that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. Um, but but Black Christmas just it just I don't know what it was trying to do. But either way. But and then I'll just say because you always you've been saying Halloween is like your favorite. Um, my controversially favorite horror movie besides like classics mm-hmm. and Scream will always have a special place in my heart. But controversially favorite horror movie is in fact The Devil's Rejects. Rob oh, Zombie's Devil's okay. Rejects. That's and one. I have a lot of reasons why that movie achieved something that I don't think I've ever seen in any other horror movie, in my opinion. And I'll leave a cliffhanger on that one. All right. If people are interested. Are you a fan of but, Rob, um, Rob Zombie beyond that one? Or I I watch all of his stuff and have an appreciation for it. I think I think he kind of teeters that Ryan Murphy line of just kind of not knowing what's going on sometimes, but, um, and just kind of taking an idea and then just kind of spiraling it a little mm-hmm. bit too much. Um, but I, I did like 31. Um, I love uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. That's just like throwback vintage horror, like brought to the modern day. Um, but Devil's Rejects, I think, is his like kind of highlight of all of his films. Um, I wasn't as much of a fan of the Salem. I'm forgetting the name of the exact Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem. So um, I'm, I'm I big mean, on I, that one too of his. I liked it, but which which related themed movies are hit or miss for me? Sometimes gotcha. I have to be in the mood for it because I can appreciate what's happening there. Just wasn't the most engaging to me. I think I like more of when he just goes for the gore. So I'm excited for his monsters remake um, a happening. Huge fan of monsters too. So that's really, I know really good. Um, um yeah, I, so, I yeah. yeah, I'm a big zombie fan. Like I love the, the Halloween, his director's cut of Halloween two might be my second favorite Halloween movie, which is a wild opinion, but I I don't disagree with you. Um, I I like what he did with Halloween. I get where the criticism lies. I do get it, but I'm not mad at their existence. Like it, some it says, Rob Zombie so, over the title. That's the hardest thing for people to understand. I so, exactly and 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 I like what he's doing. I think he is one of those filmmakers who really does. Like he just he know like he he has the vision. Whether it works, whether you think it works or not. And sometimes I don't. I do believe that he really goes in with a purpose yeah. in what he does, and he's very deliberate in what he does. Um, and that's why I will give him credit, even if I think something kind of derailed in the end. Um, that's just more on me, and I'm not in his head. But I think that he was very strategic in what he does. So I respect him as a horror filmmaker. Um, and that's controversial. People don't really like his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think, again, Devil's Reject, I think really past 20 years is probably my favorite um, horror movie. Um, because I, I, I keep that separate from, you know, your your Halloweens and your, 
or screams and all that because of their genre defining like halloween kind of defined the genre scream redefined the genre devil's reject just as a standalone film again achieved something that i don't think any horror movie really has in my opinion um in a certain way um so yeah so um but in the future i would love to talk about that movie um uh, hint hint but um but yeah no i just i love this genre for many reasons and um now i'm glad that i was able to you brought this film to me and made me reevaluate how I think about horror now, which mm-hmm. is exciting because yeah. So thank you for that. And no now problem. I have a new appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. Baba is a good place. Argento. If you, have you seen the bird with the crystal plumage? I don't think I have. I mean, like I've seen like the other one, when I was going over the list of all the films, I've mm-hmm. seen a few of them that went more mainstream or that maybe were reinterpreted or remade or something mm-hmm. that then they say, this is a remake of, um, like Suspiria and all those, but um, Bird I don't, would be a I, good I'm, place to jump from this because okay. it's it's a new, it's like taking it's like going from big flashy Hollywood director to like Francis Ford Coppola seventies, like that's the jump wow. in the in the style and types. But um, it's really really it's a really really good movie and a and a good Jalo that um has good narrative makes sense in the end it's a lot a looser than this but it, it really works and has great suspense and stuff so definitely that'd be a good one to jump to from here if you're going great. to do a giallo there's plenty of baba yeah. just sampling him but oh yes i was yeah, going through the list i was like there's quite a lot to like, like tackle into now and i just love the visuals of it because i'm such a visual person that i'm like inspired now just watching these just for the visuals you can um, just pause the screen so. and be like can we get this like a printed and put up in my house like there was the scene of uh the, the ladies when they're waiting in the dark because the men are all at the police station and they're all just sitting there and the camera moves in closely i'm like damn that's <laughs> good framing that's just and i mean it's not it does it looks effortless it looked but it, it's a beautiful just staggering of characters and the mannequins. So he uses those mannequins so yep. well. And they're so oh, mannequins are beautiful, which oh. is such a parallel between like the actual women and the mannequins being read. Um, but that shot of um, the countess towards the end where the mannequins on the ground and she's just standing there like center frame and the red and the white walls, mm-hmm. that shot's just beautiful too. And I like unintentionally paused it there and I was like, Oh, that's just the frame. Um, but that's what I thought about Suspiria too. Um, like so much of that, the original one is a painting. Like you yeah. just look oh, at yeah. it and it is a painting. So, so I do have an appreciation for these films, but again, I have to be in the right mindset for it. And unfortunately yeah. streaming services have like destroyed my mindset for films because now I just need noise. And like, I might not, my appreciation hasn't gone away, but my patience has like kind of Fair. declined over the years because of just the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, that it's just to like be able to like, fully sit and take in a movie is a lot harder so sometimes i just need the noise um and malignant was interesting because i was just finding myself going like oh i have to pay attention to this and it's really divided people um that movie like some people hate it and some people love it and i i, I am pro I, yeah i i by the end of it i was like i'm on board you know what it knew what it was and it's not holding back so for that reason i went with it um, because it wasn't trying to be something that it wasn't. It wasn't trying to be extra deep. And some of that dialogue at the end, I was like, this just feels like it's Italian horror where it's just campy and mm-hmm. there you go. So, gotcha. so, so yeah, 
was very good. Yeah. Well, and thank it, you. Yep. No problem. And I want to mention that I just thought of this, that opening credits that he does in this. I think only Wes Anderson could pull this off. Only. I don't think any other, because it's a, a little bit of a cast thing with them and the mannequins, but just yes. add that thought. That will do it for today. Greg, thank you for coming on and indulging my ego, I guess. For, <laughs> for Any time. And yeah, helping reflect of past year and stuff. It's been great. And talking Baba, talking Italian horror. That's something I haven't been able to do podcasting wise or else in a long time. I've been finally getting to break out. We did a, this show had Birth Crystal Plumage when it started. And then I'm out now with Aaron and Abe when I do the horror specials in October every year. We did Aaron Let Me Do a Jalo episode last year, and that was that was wonderful. And now we're continuing on. So I appreciate you sharing Italian horror with me. So uh, let people know once again how they can keep uh, up with you and if you've got anything uh, down the pipe uh, to look out for. Um, okay, yeah. So you can find me on, at The Magoonies on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter, but it's still at The Magoonies, Facebook at The Magoonies. And um, just right now working on a couple children's books and I do coming out this winter season, Hallmark, big departure from horror, um, adapted my screenplay and it's um, currently in production right now as we speak and will be this holiday season coming to a screen near you on Hallmark Channel, The Unexpected Christmas. So um, yeah, so they adapted my screenplay and it's currently being filmed. um, We'll need to to um, have you back and talk about that. I know, I'm curious. Like there's so much, like, finally having like done a thing and like made it like created a screenplay and then having a network purchase it and then having a network adapt it to fit the Hallmark style because Hallmark makes their movies very specific. It is Mm -hmm. Hallmark is it's genre of genres that's very specific to them. And yeah, they like, I came in with a three act script and they need a nine act script, which doesn't mean much to people who don't make films. But right. for me, I'm like, oh, this is, this is too much for me. Um, but you know what? They were wonderful at Hallmark and um, it was quite the journey. And I'm grateful for the opportunity and excited to have uh, my own title card in a movie story by. Yeah. Story Has by it been me. cast yet? So, yeah, it's already, it's currently um, oh. cast and starring, um, um, Bethany Joy Lenz from One Tree Hill, um, okay. a Hallmark fave. Um, so yeah, it is it is currently in Canada. I think they're in Vancouver right now as we speak, um, filming it. There's behind the scenes photos that have been shared. So yeah, it's coming soon. Like within the next, they film these movies very quickly um, to like 10 day film for a whole movie, uh, <laughs> something like that. So I think it's coming out like end of end of November, early December. You're um, competing I don't have with exact- Hawkeye. On Disney Apparently, Plus. I am. Well, <laughs> truth, but um, I, I don't know if the target audiences for um, Hallmark and Hawkeye are the same. But uh, but I did. But I mean, Hallmark movies usually premiere to about five million, so that's that's pretty big for a first movie. Heck that yeah, I've, I've done. So that's great. So I'm, I'm trying excited. to come up with come up with other script ideas and do it. And I just think it's fun to work on that rom com genre. Although I do love horror and would love to like write write a horror movie yeah i'm, I'm gonna stick with rom-com maybe for you could while. follow up with an unexpected dead christmas <laughs> love that it's my dad love that mike mic right. drop and i think on that note all right well awesome 
I, I'm very excited about that. We will be keeping in touch and talking about that very soon, as well as the Devil's Rejects. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Burn4KUHD, written work at whysoblue.com, where you are probably going to get loaded with review reviews because I am. it's that time of year where I get over freaking loaded and I get overwhelmed. So enjoy those. And uh, the show returns tomorrow with another returning guest and another unique favorite of mine. So till then, always remember to stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.